Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Jordan Morris, one of the hosts of Jordan Jesse Go, and just a delight to talk to. We had tea, uh, herbal tea, and we discussed mental health and non-linear careers and why uh, neither of us talks about our private lives on stage or on podcasts. I think it was a really interesting conversation. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed having it. And I also hope that you seek out uh, Jordan Jesse Go and have a bit of a listen. It's a really fun podcast. And I find that often when I enjoy a guest on a podcast, I will enjoy them on their own podcast. That's how I found many of my favorite things to listen to. Thank you very much to the Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Alice Fraser is the place to go if you want to support this um, podcast and my other work. Uh, also, I'm, I'm, I kind of am trying to centralize my stuff on Patreon.com slash Alice Fraser because who knows? Knows what's going on with the social media platforms at the moment so that's where I'll ha- I have a weekly update of everything I'm doing it's got my salons and my writers meetings I run a writers meeting and a workshop every week that's the place to sign up there for all of my stuff and you can also uh, not pay for it but also just use it as a resource because it has all of my stand-up specials there for free and uh, my blogs and podcasts I generally don't have them behind a paywall because I struggle with the concept of shutting people off from stuff that they might be interested in just because they don't happen to have money or want to give money at the time. Anyway, I'll stop rambling about the ethical concerns about <laughs> whether I should be charging for more stuff or less stuff or, you know, I'll leave that to another date because I genuinely think you'll enjoy listening to this podcast and I'm not going to get in the way anymore. So I'll, I'll talk to you next week. You're having tea with Alice. You're having tea with Alice. Who are you and what are you drinking? Hi, I am Jordan Morris. I am drinking a, oh gosh, I want to get the brand right. This is Mint Medley from the Bigelow Tea Company. And I'm having it out of a mug from uh, Hollywood Swingers, which is a, uh, not a lifestyle group, but rather a diner in the Hollywood area uh, that I really love despite their B-minus food. What do you love about them despite their B or because of their B minus food? Sometimes that's what you want. Yeah, I, and I think that's that's a great point. Sometimes you do just need a nice, reliable B minus um, with no surprises. Uh, maybe kind of a boring fruit cup that's mostly melon. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think Swingers is a diner that they went away briefly during the pandemic um, and I think got new ownership. And when they went away, I really realized how much I missed them. Um they're just kind of reliable, uh, open 24 hours. Um, you can get uh, a nice bacon and egg breakfast there without waiting in LA brunch lines. Um, yeah, it's just a kind of a nice, welcoming, reliable place. Um, and I realized how, how much I missed it when it briefly went away and decided to buy a mug when they came back to, you know, support a little bit. And now it's my favorite mug. I mean, that is a really lovely thing. I think it's a nicely shaped mug. I'm, I'm looking at it as like a slightly yes. non-standard shape. It's got a bit of a, a bit of a hip to it, a little yes. bit of a hip dip. Uh-huh. It's, it's contoured um, and it's got the Hollywood Swingers Diner logo on it uh, in a heart with the American flag pattern. And it's good size as well. Not too small, a not too big. great size, yeah. And this is a nice amount of tea that I'm having. That's excellent. I just finished my uh, tea, which was a cold green tea, 
with a bit of lemon in it, which is not normally my go-to, but it's a muggy day here. It's not even that hot, but it's okay. just sort of close, and I wanted something uh, refreshing. How, how so was it? Like just, it was really nice, like a, just a classic sencha, not like, again, you know, I have gyokuro, I have top-grade tea if I want to do that, but what I didn't want that. I wanted just a unsweet, just a nice, straight a nice green tea, squeeze a lemon, B-, minus, clears the palate, wakes you up, and... Um, and uh, yeah, that was that was a delightful thing. Are you a generally a tea drinker, or are you just doing it for this podcast? Uh, no, I, I definitely made sure to make tea because um, you know Thank I you. I'm I follow I follow instructions. I'm a rule follower. I love it when <laughs> teacher tells me I've done a good job. Um, uh-huh. And but yeah, no, I love a I love an herbal tea in the evening. It uh, helps me relax. It's kind of a a little signal that I can you know get rid of the stuff from the day I can kind of shut off my brain a little bit um yeah I definitely have a little bit of a busy brain and so anything I can do to kind of like switch myself into relaxation mode is really helpful and uh yeah a little herbal tea is great for that so that sounds really interesting to me that sounds like you've got you say you have a busy brain but that sounds like quite an orderly ritual are you generally like an orderly person um not naturally it is something that I have to work at um yeah, like organization and um, scheduling isn't my isn't something I've always been good at. I've uh, been bad at it for most of my life. Um, but yeah, have been like taking steps to be a little more organized. Uh, yeah, a little more regimented. Because um, yeah, I find that I'm like you know happier and more productive when I'm doing that stuff. But it's definitely hard. I did a, a, a documentary for Audible about habit change where oh, we sort of, uh, with a neuropsychologist or neurologist, practicing neurologist, Ash Rampura, who sort of has all, all the data on it. Um, and it's basically, if you trust your memory to get things done, you're fucked. Yeah. In short, right. like habit is like habits are a different part of the brain than where your memory is and you're better sort of building up habits and having things like calendar reminders and just not trusting your brain. Yeah. And for me, that was such a relief. I stopped blaming myself for having a shitty brain Yeah. and started thinking about systems. It feels to me like people who think they're disorganized are just people who have the wrong idea about what organization is yeah. actually. Yeah, and I think we can beat ourselves up about those mistakes, and and yeah, and, and per- perhaps our parents told us when we were kids that we were, you know, space cases or something when we forgot stuff, and yeah, it, it's it's uh, it, yeah, it's it's something that you you can learn. It it can be learned. Yeah. So there was this really interesting case of a guy who'd lost his short term memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, he basically had no memories at all and, you know, like had to be reintroduced to his own family. He lost the capacity to build memories. Uh-huh. Um, and these people asked him to be part of a study and he consented every time they did it. Uh, mm. So they managed to get his consent over the course of this thing. And they would come, I think it was like every Tuesday, they'd come and run him through various games and tests like memory cards that you would flip over and, and various tasks, mental yeah. tasks. And each time they would have to reintroduce themselves and say what the study was and get his consent. But after a while, he started putting the kettle on uh-huh. when they were due to arrive and like laying out the table and yeah. doing these kind of habitual tasks. 
even though he didn't remember consciously oh, so that there was a thing that was meant to be happening, yeah. which is just super fascinating. Also, in light of what you were saying, I think like my last five years has been about working like my kind of five-year plan <laughs> resolution yeah. uh, is like stop kicking myself for the brain that I have and sure. start doing whatever it's it takes tough, isn't it it's tough to make the brain work you know yeah. like i you know it's no it's no longer oh you know i can't get anything done unless somebody else is you know, you're waiting on the other end of the line okay i will hire somebody to ask me for a chapter right. a day you know or whatever it is like i just have to work with the brain i have, yes, you have to meet yourself where you're at are you yeah. someone uh do you need to is relaxing hard for you sometimes uh hmm that's a tricky one yes is okay. the answer. Yes. Uh, that said, I think I think there are things that I can do that are checking out, which I find quite easy to do. Okay. Although those things aren't necessarily relaxing. They're more like just stepping out of the mainstream of life. Um, that's much harder to do with a baby, sure. of course. <laughs> I, I would imagine. I, do, I don't have a baby myself, but um, I, from what I've heard, um, they, they can make those sorts of things challenging. Yeah. Yeah, I think I I, I like to feel productive mm -hmm. to, to the point where it's a problem. It's a good where feeling, isn't it? I have to justify things to myself. I definitely get a little dopamine kick when I feel like I've had a productive day. It feels good and it makes whatever like relaxing I do afterwards just feel amazing. I think I'm kind of like chasing that that that. I've earned this feeling when... That justification. Right. Yeah, I think for me, productivity is something slightly more squirrely than that, which is part, which is that my mum was sick when I was growing up, so I had these kind of care responsibilities. So in order to do things that I enjoyed, I sort of had to justify them by virtue of them being worthy in some way, mm -hmm. that they were you know, productive or useful or educational. Yeah. Uh, and that was the only way that I could allow myself to neglect my responsibilities to my family that I felt very strongly that I had. Um, so it's definitely something that's still worth unpacking a little bit because in part, some of those things were not productive. They were just things that I wanted to do that I had to kind of make weird little loops in my head to say that they were okay to do when in fact they were okay to do. I was a teenager. I was allowed yeah. to do nice things for myself <laughs> sometimes um yeah so it's it's such an interesting process I think you spend so much of your teens and your 20s th thinking you're becoming somebody and then probably your 30s and I assume your 40s dealing with who that person is right. and kind of like trying to deconstruct it a little bit sure. um what have you been wrestling with of late Jordan um you know, that's interesting when you were talking about um, kind of judging how you spent your free time. This is this is a weird one that I'm trying to, like, grapple with. It's like feeling guilty about media choices. Like, um, huh. I, for a while, up until very recently, I had the, the Turner Classic Movies app, right? And I kind of told myself that like that's the app I'm going to go to first when I'm you know when it's movie time I'm going to that's the I'm not going to open Amazon I'm not going to open 
fucking Netflix with all their trash. I'm going to open Turner Classic Movies and on, you know, and after I'm done with work, I'm going to settle in with a nice Truffaut. I'm going to settle in <laughs> with a John Ford Western. And and I do, you know, genuinely like watching that stuff um, a lot. And I think something that's interesting about like a classic movie is that like the great ones definitely don't feel like homework and yeah, they can be as fun as just watching an Avengers or whatever. Um, But yeah, but also like having that app made me feel guilty when I opened the other apps and watched something (laughs) that I, you know, that my snobbier self might judge as trash or junk or with me, it's watching the same episode of The Simpsons over and over again. Um, so, yeah, there's that feeling of like, ah, great, it's leisure time. Time to crack a book. Time to play a video game. Time to watch something. And, yeah, and I, I think I think it, it compounds it because, you know, I, I, I work in a creative field. I'm like oh, this is kind of work too. This is part of my job is to like consume all the best media and be up on the media. And like, I got to watch The Last of Us because everybody's talking about The Last of Us. And the next time I'm in a meeting, they're going to ask me what I think of The Last of Us. And I have to have some hot take on The Last of Us. And it's like, God, that's a lot of pressure to put on leisure time, you know? Like, (laughs) I don't know. Yes, I mean, we should all branch out and watch the great films and stuff like that. And there's value to that. But also like, I don't know if your brain is really just saying like, just watch the Mr. Plow episode of the Simpsons again. Like there's, there's something to that too. And like that your brain is telling you that for a reason. And anyway, like, yeah. Also like it, I think that's like, that's so, I really understand that. And I think that one of the ways to reframe that kind of thinking is look at the people who are sort of, grind culture, hustle culture, right. uh, productivity people who will only ever watch like Masterclass and TED Talk right. if they can yes. watch anything mm-hmm. and because everything has to be improving and then, then they listen to, you know, audiobooks when they yeah. sleep and then they have those um, apps that condense books into tweet-sized paragraphs so you don't actually ever have to <laughs> spend your life, you know, this kind not, of streamlining. I have not seen that app. That's interesting. Yes, it's, it's truly horrendous. This, yes, like, can you take all of the joy out of media? Yeah, <laughs> just make streamlining it the corners off life so you can slide unimpeded right. into the grave. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I that is so, the like media equivalent of that 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 meal replacement Soylent. Have you heard of Soylent? Yes, that, like, it's exactly that. It's this kind of obsession with functionality and productivity sure. that is. A, a tumorous growth of capitalism and like weird Protestant Lutheran work ethic stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also B, can lend itself to something that I think is like super toxic about particularly internet culture, which is the idea that life, that that you get very impatient with people who are inconvenient, who are slow, who are taking up your time. And that at its worst is sort of eugenicsy. Yeah. But even at its medium worst means that what you don't want in your life is like babies or old people or disabled people or confused <laughs> sure. people yeah. or, you know, people who are having problems because they're getting in the way of your perfect streamlined life. Yeah. 
What I, I mean is you shouldn't kick yourself for watching The Simpsons again. Thank you. That's nice. It's <laughs> always nice to hear. Yes. If if uh, if you're out there and you follow me on social media, just send me a send me a message. It's okay to watch The Simpsons. It always feels good to hear that from someone else. Um, yeah. So, so that's kind of been like a challenge and something that I would be interested to hear your take on is like one of my great like mental health struggles is like learning to not freak out when work is slow um Uh. to not go to that when it's as i'm sure it is this way in many industries but like entertainment has so many peaks and valleys it just does like everybody says it because it's totally fucking true like you will have you know the busiest year of your life where you you know you're pulling all-nighters to meet your deadlines and then it will be followed by a year where no one will return your emails. And like, I think I've, I've been doing it long enough to where I've experienced both. I've experienced like these crazy years where, you know, I feel like I was turning stuff down. God forbid I would get to turn something down. Um, And then followed by, you know, just these quiet periods where nothing's going on. And, you know, there's, just not as many opportunities and for most of my life when those little valleys happen I just freak out I just go to a doomed place I'm done I'll never work again no one will ever love me I'm a failure I fucked up like the reason that you're not busy is because you're such a fuck up and all the work you've done has been very bad and everybody knows it's bad when in reality it's just that entertainment is weird and you know sometimes a corporation buying another corporation, you know, makes jobs harder to come by. And yeah, and that's that's like something I'm working on. And I think I'm in a, in a pretty good place with it. But it is still really hard and I still have really, really bad days around it. Yeah, I would be curious to hear from you. Is that something you experience? And if so, what, what do you do doing, during those slow times? Well, I think for... That's a really interesting question. And I think one of the tricky parts about their slow times is that they remind you that a career in the arts is not linear. There's no guarantee that you will, you know, that the sun will rise tomorrow. You know, in in many industries, although obviously the economy is very unstable now, but more or less if you do a job and you do it well and you do it every day, unless you get fired, you sort of keep progressing more or less there's a there's a direction that you're moving in whereas with comedy or performance or entertainment or writing it's it's so seasonal it's so piecemeal it's so much about whether the person you saw at the cafe yesterday is going into meetings so you're top of mind and when when yeah. somebody says oh we need a curly-headed Australian for this job they think of you rather than the other three curly-headed Australians <laughs> who they might right. you know that stuff and then also you know, for me, I'm I'm interested in writing non-comedy, but most of my public work is comedy. I've yeah. done a few non-comedy things, but they're mainly as ghostwriters so that people don't know that I could do that. But, sure. you know, then you put yourself forward. for It's just like so uncontrollable, so outside of your control. And I think most comedians are control freaks in a way that is belied by the kind of archetype of us being fairly chaotic. Right part of being on stage is that you're controlling the people oh yeah that's you're controlling interesting. their that's reaction to you observation yeah and it's micromanaging 
Sure. Like it's my, it's, you're, you're individually tuning each right. person in the room's response to you. And, and podcasting as well is, I mean, obviously you're, you're speaking to an audience that you can't see, but yeah. you control the product, you control what you say, you control how you say it. Yeah, it's like every Thursday this releases and it's about 80 minutes and we talk about this and here's our segments yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. then here's our ads. Yeah, no, you're right. It is, it is like, it is a lot more manicured than, than people realize. And so then that element of your career that is out of your control, that's about other people's feelings and opinions and sort of fashions and vibes and who's hot yeah. right now. And, you know, it's it's sort of agonizing. And it confronts you, I think, like on a more existential level with what what's meaningful about life and what's the point of this job and where where am I going and what's this doing and I'm just going to die in the end anyway so what's the point sure. like that like genuinely it's t- it's tied up even though it's sort of a fairly trivial thing of getting this job or not getting this job it's tied up with a real sense of your purpose in the world yeah sure and your impact in the world like what are you doing if nobody's watching right um for me, the fact that I have my podcasts and my Patreon and that kind of base layer of security has been a lifesaver. Yeah, totally. Like particularly during the pandemic. And even in light of like culture war stuff, not right. that I go around saying hateful things, but just knowing that no one person can walk away from me and ruin my life yeah, has been huge. So that's been, I guess, more last five years, but last 10 years, really building that sense of stability in this very unstable career. Yeah, it's really nice. I mean, like, obviously, you know, I think the internet, you know, maybe has been a a net negative for creative people, but like, there is this thing now where we can just like, you know, hang out our signs. We can just like, you, you, there's now an option that does not involve a giant company deeming you worthy to entertain. You know, it's like, I can do a thing. I can put it on the internet. And obviously there's barriers to entry and it, you know, costs money to have internet and it costs money to buy a mic and it, it you know. But the barriers to entry are lower than they ever have been, I of think. Of course, yeah. So it's like, it, it definitely is like nice that we do have options when, you know, your job goes away because... AT&T buys the Discovery Channel or whatever that you yeah. still can like put up a mic or put up a webcam and do something and if people like it there's you know a way to monetize it or at least to you know be creative and to make something that people like well and also it isn't winner takes all yeah which I, th- I think it, it can feel like winner takes all because you see the winners so much um this I'd this idea of sort of famous or bust if you're not the most famous person in the world then you're nothing I think is is kind of evaporates in the face of people who make a living off 1000 true fans or you know selling your knitted ogres on Etsy and that's enough to pay your bills (laughs) you know whatever it happens to be like this kind of cottage industry is somehow more available online than it ever was if you were actually dealing in the village you know the yeah. fact that you have access, you know, I I really like talking to my audience, and my audience is weird, and right. there aren't that many of them in any one place, but there's a lot of them in the world. It's such an interesting thing, and I don't know if this is something you feel, but like when you're kind of describing what you do to family members, <laughs> um, 
the American version is if if you're not on Saturday Night Live, people think you've failed. And for yeah. some weird reason in the mind of every parent, it's still Saturday Night Live. If you're funny, you should be on Saturday Night Live. And if you're not on Saturday Night Live, why are you not getting on Saturday Night Live? Have you called them? Have you shown up? Just go down <laughs> there with a the headset. Yeah. yeah. My dad's all like, you should do a movie. Like, yeah, I think my mom. My mom said to me, "It's like you should write one of those Pixar movies." <laughs> <It's> like, great, <laughs> great idea. <laughs> They're uh, looking for good scripts. They're looking for, and you just go, well, "Yes, but to write a good script takes X number of hours, right. and doing it on spec requires you to have such like financial and temporal yeah. stability that it's way easier for me to write the podcast that's due on Wednesday and have of that course. out." And you know, it's just it is a really interesting thing the ways in which barriers to entry are not always visible yeah um but yeah but yeah that uh the the legitimacy thing is always an interesting one i think i sort of being a comedian is about kind of framing up your own legitimacy deciding for you what success means and then always falling short of that (laughs) right (laughs) Having, creating creating your own bullseye that you can never hit. <laughs> yeah, and if for some reason exactly. you do hit it, change the size of the bullseye and move it somewhere else. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's that thing of somebody, somebody was asking me about how to get on at a particular room in Sydney. And I was like, ugh, it's not that great. It's not the big deal. Right. And they're like, oh, why isn't it a big deal? And I was kind of like, well, because I've done it. <laughs> it can't uh, be a big deal. No, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they'll let anybody do it. That is a really interesting question, kind of how to be okay with pauses or I think we all had to confront that as like a world or as a society. Yeah, with COVID. sure, totally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yes, the, 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 the greatest pause of them all. And it is like when, when you're talking about like, you know, this, this job is changing and it has changed a lot recently. Um, like being f- famous is now different like who are the who's famous to everyone tom cruise beyonce and anyone the rock maybe like it's mainly people who were famous before right yeah exactly you know like it's sort of it's odd to find the cultural touchstones that are universally recognizable are aging and aging and aging yeah they're not being updated because there's no kind of central point of knowledge or understanding really anymore yeah, I I know, and 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 it's interesting. I uh, a couple years ago went to work for some YouTubers, um, who I still do work for periodically and have a lovely time when I when I join them. But I was not a YouTube kid, you know. I'm 40, so I kind of like didn't grow up with internet, and also am a very late adopter when it comes to all tech. So like. I kind of missed YouTube. It's something I will watch music videos on periodically, but it's not like a social network that I engage with. But Mm. like people who did grow up with YouTube, to them, these YouTubers are basically Tom Cruise and Beyonce and The Rock. And it's just interesting that, yes, we're we're breaking our culture into these tinier and tinier pockets. And I think they're are people who probably love your Patreon in, in with the exact same passion and fervor as like 
our parents loved the Beatles, you know, like. To, <laughs> That's a big call. I, I don't I know. Think I, think it's, at my I think it's true. I think it's true. I totally think that is real. And I think it's something that is just going to like continue to get more and more extreme. Well, I, I really like it, actually. I think it's sort of more how it's meant to be. It feels more human scale. Yeah. And I like that. You might be right. I, I like things to be human scale. I cannot imagine, and I'm not saying this just because I've. I'm too old to be a movie star now. I cannot imagine how awful it would be to be world famous. Sure. You know, I I think that would be incredibly stressful and incredibly upsetting. And sure, you would have money, but like you don't have freedom. Yeah. And I made that trade when I quit being a lawyer. You know, what would I do with this money? I would buy that time back. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. You know, and, and, and obviously you have more freedom if you're just ridiculously wealthy and you're not working as a lawyer. But what what do you want to do with your time if you can't just go to a cafe or you can't go to the beach without thinking about your security, if your children can't go to a normal school, if you can't make friends with someone without worrying that they're trying to get something out of you? Yeah. I think that would be really stressful. And I feel like I have this great privilege where most people who know me know me through my work yeah they don't know me through hearing about me from somebody else and deciding that they don't like me because somebody else that they don't like likes me right you know (laughs) yes the most annoying guy at my office is a fan and therefore i hate hate it yeah um that's funny and yeah and i and that is definitely something that i think is is hard to overstate is like I bet once you do get to be a certain amount of famous, like worrying about your safety is just something that you do a lot. Like I, you know, I've had thankfully few, but definitely a few moments where, you know, I've worried about my safety and it fucking sucks. It just sucks. And it like, yeah. And it makes you not want to do this and it makes you want to slam your laptop and never open it again. And, you know, never yeah. leave the and house. And at the same time, that the flip side of that exact coin is the people who reach out to you and go, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's nice to hear. It definitely is always nice to hear. Yeah. But you have to kind of take it with that grain of salt because equally then there's the person who is going to take it too far or, or lose it. Right. And I think of the stalkers I've had, probably the men are more scary, but the women are more upsetting oh, oh yeah <laughs> I, I yeah yeah i mean maybe that's just my particular stalkers and there's no kind of general gender norms to be drawn out from it sure <laughs> when when you do hit a valley or mm. you hit a slow time do you immediately open up a passion project that you'd like to work on is that something you are are good at doing there's this terrible thing that happens in, in a valley yeah, where you are throwing too many things at the wall. Sure. You know, and you don't know what the chances of any of them coming off are, mm-hmm. but if any two of them come off, you won't have time to do anything yeah. else, but mm-hmm. you still have to throw your whole heart into pitching them. And so you have to sort of believe in some part of yourself that, that, this is going to happen or that it should happen or that you really want it to happen. And there's a kind of a double think that you have to have in your head simultaneously of 
sort of preemptively overloading yourself, knowing that most of it won't come off, hoping that some yeah. of it will come off, desperately crossing your fingers that not all of it will come off because then you'll have to explode. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of over-revved engine thing where you feel like you're spinning your wheels. Yeah. That feels like very uncontrolled to me. Yeah, totally. And, and very more scary than just the lull that kind of trying to get out of the lull is is the scary bit for me yeah absolutely and it can you can exhaust yourself you know in the lulls because yeah in a weird way like trying to get something going is more exhausting than having the thing going sometimes you know yes because it's the in the incomplete contains the infinite it could be anything. It could be everything. It could be the best thing ever. It could be a disaster. You have to hold all of these possibilities open in your mind. And that balancing act is like an upside down pyramid of like all of this pressure on the top of your head expanding out into infinity. Um, and then, you know, you wake up the next morning and everyone said no and you have to start at the bottom of the hill again. Right. It's very <laughs> Sisyphean. Um before I wind up, have you seen that the Sisyphus hot take? No, I would I would love to. Are we taking him down? Is Sisyphus cancelled? Well, there's some lady on TikTok who was obviously misinterpreted in her point, right. which was slightly clumsily made, which was that she, I mean, I think it's a bad point even, even in the initial expression, let alone the misinterpretation of it. But she thought actually Sisyphus would probably find it quite fulfilling to be pushing the rock up the hill because he was probably getting better at it every time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then somebody kind of interpreted that as like an expression of, of, again, capitalist grind culture. And it kind of took off from there. Yeah. Sisyphus, the ultimate, the original rise and grind, (laughs) homie. Yeah, that he's getting something out of this yeah. this uh, horrifying, pointless task. Work hard, play hard, you know? That was Sisyphus. <laughs> I mean, Sisyphus probably really jacked. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Great lats. Great lats on Sisyphus. Does World's Strongest Man competitions on the side. That's how he... That's <laughs> his right. side hustle. Exactly. Where can people find you online? Uh, I do a podcast called uh, Jordan, Jesse Go. It's a aimless chat show uh where we goof around for uh 80 uh, ish minutes a week with uh some really cool folks from the world of comedy and entertainment that's jordan jesse go that is at maximumfun.org it's a delightful podcast by the way i highly recommend it oh thank you thank you thank you um yes uh, we we have a good time and if you're a uh, comic book reader or even if you're not um and would consider buying a comic book i wrote a story in an upcoming issue of archie comics um, it is called Pop's Chocolate Shop of Horrors. It is out March 22nd. It is a uh, three spooky tales set in the famous Riverdale Diner starring the Archie Comics gang. And yeah, and it was totally fun to do. And uh, the, uh, the art's really, really great from a great artist named uh, Liana Congas. And uh, they really did a spectacular job with it. And I can't wait for folks to see it. Pop's Chocolate Shop of Horrors, March 22nd at your local comic book store. That is so wonderful. Thank you. I've had, like, genuinely, it's been such a pleasure to meet you. Yeah, this Thank you for having so tea with me. Ah, lovely. I've loved my tea, and my brain feels smooth. Thank you. <laughs> oh, do you know her, or do you not? This stop is mistress we have got. Oh,
the dawn, sun, it is her name, and she helps the daughters at every frame. Loudly rifle, doll, loudly rifle,